Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Sean, and it's my pleasure to welcome you here to Mayflower Congregational Church. And not just you folks here in person in the pews, but those of us joining us virtually as well. Welcome. We see you. Hello. Glad you're here. Um, I have a, a bit of a heavy announcement to start us for this Sunday morning, if, if perhaps you have not heard the news yet, uh, of the passing of Phil Idema. He passed away Thursday night after uh, some time in hospice, and his funeral will be on October 8th. So do mark, those on you, do mark that on your calendar, and can continue to pray for Murray and for the family as well. And we'll pray for them later in the service, of course. I now invite you to greet one another in this unique Christian act, this uh, practice we have, called passing the peace. And the traditional exchange goes something like this. May the peace of Christ be with you. Let's share Christ's peace with one another now. It's been a wonderful week starting up all of our fall programming. The annual picnic last week was lovely, even though we had to move it inside. The youth group started up. Midweek was in full force. And all of our Bible studies, Priscilla Circle, and all of our wonderful other groups were starting. If you would like to join any of these activities, please look in your bulletin for more information, or you can call the church office. You are welcome at any time to join. We would like you to know um, that the office here at Mayflower was notified by some members and friends of Mayflower of some scamming attempts via phone, email, and text message warning that Pastor Sean and others in desperate need of money, gift cards, or help, please know that Mayflower Church will never ask you directly for money in a plea for help. And please avoid any further contact if if anyone attempts to solicit you this way. And contact the church office if you ever have a question regarding any of that. Our prayer cards will be collected today during the offering. And in October, we will begin our first new member class. We, um, it will be four classes that take the time to teach what congregationalism is and what it means to be a part of this wonderful community. So today I'd like to invite forward David and Cheryl Blair to share why they decided to go through the new member class here at Mayflower. Good morning. Good morning to you also. I'm David Blair, and a few weeks back, Rachel invited us to share a few words about our journey to become members of uh, Mayflower Church. And so it actually started uh, 
a number of years ago when our daughter Rachel was attending and we uh, started coming to this church uh, to be supportive of she and her family. And we particularly enjoyed the uh, choir that the children, our grandchildren, participated in. And I know that you all enjoy those choirs very much as well. And then secondly, we were coming to uh, be a part with my parents who moved from Midland to Beacon Hill seven years ago, and they uh, found this an enriching experience and and really enjoyed the sermons and also the music uh, from Jonathan Duke and uh, Julia that was performed both during the service and then after the service. And finally, we have come to appreciate the messages and the sermons so much. They were uh, rich and encouraging. We've really enjoyed the music, but most of all, We have really enjoyed getting to know all of you. We have felt supported and encouraged. And this past week, I had the privilege to participate in a men's Bible study, and I can't wait to go again until uh, tomorrow night. And uh, thank you, Jesse, for the invitation. Hi, I'm Cheryl, and uh, I've just really been enjoying a particular group here called the Bell Choir. And I just want you all to know that you don't have to be a member, although it's wonderful for you to join us as members in this church but it's just wonderful to get involved in a group and then get to know the people and as I joined the bell choir I found it very welcoming and encouraging I never played bells in my life I'm not saying I do it well now but they're very encouraging and they're very helpful and um, it's a wonderful way to meet people so what I'd like to do is encourage you first of all to join our church because it's wonderful And secondly, to join activities, whether it's bell choir, the regular choir, um, Priscilla group, whatever you find in your bulletin that really catches your heart, maybe gardening, um, it would be great for you to do that. And we would love to welcome you as well. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl and David. I didn't pay them to say that. (laughs) Um, First, I'd like to start today with an invitation to an organ recital that's happening here tomorrow at 7. There is a promo in your bulletin. You'll find it um, uh, in the middle of your your, uh, bulletin. And um, there are six local organists that will be here, and this is one of the finest organs in western Michigan, so it's something we should be proud of, and, um, and it's going to be wonderful playing of beautiful organ music. And uh, in today's service, I would like to highlight uh, the offertory anthem. It uh, is written by Gabriel Faure, who was a 19th century French composer and also director of the Paris Conservatory. And you may know his name from uh, the Faure Requiem that we have sung many times here at Mayflower. Um, This Cantique de Jean Racine uh, was written... um, in name of Jean Racine, who was a dramatist and poet uh, during the time of Louis XIV. And he translated this uh, Latin hymn into French, and uh, Faure took this French translation and set it to music um, when he was 19 years old. Uh, and it won first prize in 1865 in the school where he was uh, a music student. And Foray's long, luscious, melodic lines are set over an arpeggiated accompaniment, 
his harmonics pro- progression and restrained elegant writing perfectly emphasizes the powerful yet serene text of the poetry which you'll find in your bulletin Make a joyful noise, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. People of God, let us praise the Lord.
Let us pray. O God, set us free from the bondage of our sins and give us the liberty of that abundant life which you have made known to us in your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. We pray... Scripture says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So now I invite you to confess your sins, first in a moment of silence for personal confession, and then in a corporate confession that we all speak together, as found in your bulletin. Let us now bring our sins before the Lord. And let us confess together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Jesus Christ, our great high priest, is even right now interceding for us in the presence of the Father. Sisters and brothers, your sins in Jesus Christ have been forgiven. Be at peace. Amen. Please be seated.
I would now like to invite all the children worshiping with us to come forward at this time. If you're in preschool, all the way through fifth grade. Good morning. It's so fun to see all of you. So we are talking about back to school and all the important supplies that we bring in our backpack. And today we're going to talk about one of the most important supplies that when you start kindergarten is the first thing that you put in your pencil box. Crayons. Crayons are amazing. When you are in kindergarten and you pull out your crayon box, your teacher has a whole idea of what this is going to do. It's just not to make a colorful picture. Crayons actually help develop your brain. When you're able to hold a crayon and color within the line, parts and pieces of your brain are growing strong. And they are really fun as well. Well, scientists have found that crayons are important even after kindergarten. So today I've given everyone out here a crayon. Everyone hold up your crayons. Everyone in the pews and all the choir. Look around. Everyone has a crayon. Because science has found that coloring is important when you're a grown-up as well as when you are a kid. Because if you color, it helps relax your brain, and it even helps you sleep better. So it made me think that is a lot like Sunday school. When you grow up and you go to Sunday school on a regular basis, you learn songs, and you learn Bible stories, and you learn all your prayers. But then when you grow up and you get to be a grown-up, all of those songs and prayers are in your heart. So let's see. Who remembers this little light of mine, the little song? You guys all know. Let's look around. All the grown-ups, they all know this little light of mine. Look at the choir members. Oh, yep. Yeah. How about Jesus Loves Me? Who? Oh, yeah. We got to holler out for Jesus Loves Me. So all of that, they are deep in your heart. And so that's why we love that you are here on Sunday mornings, and we love our beautiful, wonderful Sunday school teachers, because God plants those things in your heart, just like how crayons bring so much joy. And now that we have sermon note sheets, you can all use your crayons to color in your answers today. If you will all pray with me, please. Lord, we are thankful for your spirit. We are thankful that as we grow up, we get to put your spirit deep in our hearts and that it stays there through all of our years, Lord. May we see you and know you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends, if you are a fifth grader, why don't you stand on up? You are going to go to bridge class with Mrs. Houlihan, who's standing right over here in the library. If you're a first grader, a second grader, a third or a fourth grader, can you stand up? And you are going to go with Mrs. Wiener over there in the polka dot dress. And if you are three and four, perfect. You are going to go with Mrs. Conway.
Thank you, Rachel. It's always a delight. Today's reading is from Matthew 5, 17 through 20. It's on page 683 of your pew Bible. This is about the fulfillment of the law. Now, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the laws, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. (laughs) Thanks be to God. You know, America has a hidden drug problem, and it's very, very costly. Experts estimate this problem could be costing the country $177 billion every year in medical bills and lost productivity. The problem is that we're not following the instructions properly. Millions of people don't take their medications correctly or Quit taking them altogether. On average, half of patients with chronic illnesses, things like heart disease or asthma, skip doses or otherwise mess up their medication. There was one report that concluded people with initially symptom-free diseases are most at risk. So, for instance... 51% of high blood pressure patients actually stick with the medication as prescribed through the full course of it. Almost half give up halfway through. And that seems to be what happened with former President Bill Clinton. He was put on anti-cholesterol medication, but he stopped taking it, and later he ended up needing open-heart surgery. Reading the instructions properly is very important for medicines. And reading properly is very important when it comes to Scripture, too. In fact, just like medications, it could be a matter of life and death. This is our second week in our Sermon on the Mount series. And in this sermon, Jesus gives us a picture of what his people are like. You can think of this as a political manifesto for the kingdom of God. And throughout this series, again and again, we will see that Jesus puts a question to us. Will you follow me? And today, it's about if we're going to follow him in how we read our Bibles. So if you remember from last week, we looked at Jesus' description of a new people in the Beatitudes, uh, what this new people should be like. But that would naturally lead into a question that we'll look at today. What is the relationship 
between this new people and what God had already said. And straight away, I think we should be clear, this is not a simple matter. How we read the Old Testament isn't as straightforward as, well, just read it and do what it says. I mean, sometimes that doesn't work. Perhaps the stickiest area is the law of Moses. So let's consider that for a moment. Now, when it comes to the law of Moses, there are some laws that we all agree upon. Do not murder. Okay, got it. That's one we all agree on. But there's some laws where the application is a bit debated, such as forgiving financial debts every seven years. That's in the law of Moses. How do we do that? It's debated. And then there are, there are other laws that we know we shouldn't follow directly today. Uh, for example, the laws about animal sacrifices being given to God. That's not for us to do today. And then if we're frank and honest with ourselves, there are some laws that seem a bit weird to us. You know, there, there are laws about um, not mixing together wool and linen into one type of garment. There are laws that prohibit you from eating owls. I didn't know if you were interested in eating an owl or something, but the Old Testament says you can't do that. It just kind of seems weird. How do we make sense of all this? Well, all Christians agree that Jesus changes the way the Old Testament laws apply to us. But which ones and how? As they say, the devil's in the details. But generally, if the law of Moses reveals God's will, and if we should know, understand, and obey God's will, then this is something that matters for us. And that brings us to our passage for today. This might be the most important passage in the entire Bible about how to read the Bible. Because in it, Jesus tells us how to interpret Scripture. And today I hope we'll see that to rightly obey all that God has said, you should read your Bible as a book about Jesus. I want us to consider four elements in our passage. And in each one of these elements, Jesus gives us a lesson, I'll summarize, on how to read the Bible. First, Jesus starts with his claim of fulfillment in verse 17. See, it seems that some people had accused Jesus of just tossing out his Bible. Now, of course, the New Testament hadn't been written yet at that time, so Jesus' Bible is what we call the Old Testament. And some people thought that he was against the Scriptures. They thought that he was trying to undermine the Bible. For example, he argued with the theologians of his day about the true meaning of of the Sabbath. And so these questions were being asked to Jesus. Jesus, are you out to tear down the Old Testament like an old building? 
Are you saying it doesn't have authority anymore? And if so, how dare you? So with these murmurings and accusations bouncing around, Jesus addresses them with a claim about fulfillment. And to paraphrase, here's basically what he says. He says, I have come to fulfill all the scriptures, all of your Bible, the law of Moses, the prophets, even the poetic books. They all point to me. They're ultimately about me, he says. So I'm not setting them aside at all. I'm realizing them. I am making them true. So if you want to know what they mean, I'm here to tell you and to show you. Now that's a huge claim, right? Jesus says he fulfills the story of God and the commands of God and the promises of God. It was all about him all along. What kind of person says that? No wonder people were mad at him. But if he's right about that claim, if he is who he says he is, then that changes things. From now on, the teachings of Jesus will determine how his followers should interpret and practice what God had instructed to his people. Now, we'll see this in detail in next week's sermon. Jesus, through six examples, takes us into a deeper heart level of what it means to obey what God has said. We'll look at specific examples next week, but this week he tells us how to do it. There's a book out there called What to Expect When You're Expecting. Show of hands, who's seen this book? What to Expect When You're Expecting. It's a book about pregnancy, as the title suggests. And it first came out in 1984 and has since sold 22 million copies. Many, many women read this book. I mean, when when my wife and I were expecting our children, it was really helpful, and I wasn't even pregnant. (laughs) It's clear. It follows along the stages of pregnancy in a question-and-answer format. Now, even after a mother has delivered her baby, what this book has to say is still true. It's still authoritative. It's still a good guide. But the whole book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, points to something, the coming baby. And that's a bit how it is with the Bible. When the promised Messiah is born... Everything is different. So that leads us to the first lesson Jesus gives us in reading the Bible. In our children's education ministry, we have uh, this children's Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's fantastic. And it has this great tagline. Every story whispers his name. That's the right way to think about lesson one. When you go to read your Bible, look to Jesus as the center of the story. The second element of our passage comes in verse 18. And in verse 18, Jesus clarifies the claim that he made. 
In verse 17, Jesus had started talking about all of the scriptures. But really, most of the points of contention came up with the law of Moses. So he starts to focus in on that. And wow, does he drop a big truth claim on them. He just lays it out there. He says, just like the creation of heaven and earth won't be undone, so the law of Moses will never be set aside. Not even the tiniest mark of the pen will be erased. The dot in every I, the cross in every T, will remain. Because once God speaks something, he doesn't take his words back. But we know that once the full meaning of something has been revealed, you can't go back and read it the old way. So, for example, once you know that when Dorothy gets to the land of Oz, everything is going to become in color. When you go back and rewatch the movie, when you see Kansas in black and white, it takes on new meaning that you didn't know the first time through. Or, for example, with Harry Potter. Uh, if you don't know Harry Potter, indulge me here. But if you do, this will make sense. <laughs> Once you know what a horrorcrux is, you simply can't read the first Harry Potter books without seeing what's really happening and what's really going on. And it's the same way with the law of Moses. Once you know that Jesus is the true intention of the law, you simply can't go back as if you don't know about him. And Jesus tells us that once you see that it's about him, that you see the true meaning of the Mosaic law, that meaning is permanent as Jesus teaches it. The law points to a greater righteousness that Jesus brings. So the law wasn't thrown out at all. No, in fact, Jesus seems to be saying to us, it's in greater effect. So lesson two in reading the Bible. Look to Jesus... And that means following Jesus. And following Jesus includes following the Old Testament law through him. Well, in our third element, very briefly here, Jesus states the consequence of this claim in verse 19. Jesus says that anyone who treats as worthless even the most minor command of the law is not worthy of his kingdom. Even the shortest, smallest word of God cannot be ignored. They all matter. To disregard any of them would be a terrible mistake. It's a sure ticket to being left out of the kingdom. But, Jesus says, those who take God's law seriously in word and in deed... They'll be true members of the kingdom. All the laws apply and must be obeyed, but in light of the new era that Jesus brings. So our third lesson in reading the Bible, following Jesus really means following Jesus. 
in everything. And the stakes are eternal. Well, the fourth and final element in our passage comes in verse 20. And Jesus goes on to clarify the consequences of his claim. In fact, he drops another big truth on them. He's about to set out a radical new understanding of what it means to live under God's rule. And he does this by comparing his followers to existing groups. And he says, if you, if you want to get into the kingdom, you've got to do better than those guys. Well, who were they? They're the scribes. And they were the recognized theological experts of the day. And there's the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a reform movement within Judaism. The Pharisees were all about practicing the law of Moses meticulously, especially things with ritual purity, tithing, observing the Sabbath. They were all about the law. And so... The scribes and the Pharisees would have totally been on board with everything Jesus says about the law never passing away. You know, when Jesus says, not one word, not one mark will pass away, he says, like, yeah, that's right. Every last pen stroke was precious to them. In fact, the Pharisees had developed this whole system of rules in addition to the law, like a hedge around the law to help people better get the law in every possible detail. And they were pretty well respected for this. So why does Jesus take them on? What is he talking about when he says, you must have a righteousness that exceeds theirs? I can tell you one thing. He's not talking about obeying the law even more meticulously than they do. I mean, that that would be ridiculous. These guys were the best at it. No one was going to beat them at their own game. Now, when Jesus talks about a righteousness exceeding the scribes and the Pharisees, he's using that word righteousness in a different sense. He's wanting us to redefine it altogether. So for all of their scrupulous following of the law, Jesus suggests that they're still outside of the kingdom. Because in the kingdom, different standards apply. And here's what he's getting at. Those who belong to the kingdom must move beyond literal observance of the rules. I mean, even good rules. And get to a deeper consciousness of what it means to really please God. Their understanding must go beyond a surface level of the rules. To have an openness to get at the underlying will of God within the rules. So once we radically interiorize God's commands, once they're written on our hearts, once we're fully committed to giving ourselves to God and to our neighbors, that's when we obey the law. And you know what? There's an interesting implication that comes out of this, and we see it in Jesus' ministry. Sometimes getting at the heart of the law might even mean breaking the letter of the law. Do you remember when Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath? 
Technically, you weren't supposed to work, and yet here he is healing. Getting at the heart of the law sometimes means violating the letter of the law. And getting at the heart of the law is what it means to go beyond their righteousness. Not just keeping the rules, but getting at the intention of the Father's heart and then obeying. Receiving righteousness from Christ and then doing it. That's what that looks like. So in our fourth lesson in how to read the Bible, we're challenged to do better than non-followers of Jesus. In our scripture passage today, Jesus explains how the Bible really works. It comes to completion in him so that he can tell his followers how to live. Now, perhaps this has been a little bit abstract thus far, so let's take two concrete examples of what this could look like. So maybe we could take the kosher laws, the laws about food, from the law of Moses. Well, the law says, for instance, that animals that live in the water and crawl shouldn't be eaten. They're unclean. So that means no lobster, Sorry, seafood lovers. (laughs) But we Christians don't follow this law. Why? Well, we don't follow this particular law about food because Jesus has fulfilled the law. And so being clean or unclean is based on something different now. It's not about certain food practices anymore. Jesus Christ is the one who makes us clean. He is the one who puts us into our proper place, not the food laws. But here's the important part. Those laws still are meaningful. Those laws about what to eat and what not to eat anticipate their fulfillment that's now found in Jesus. As Jesus teaches us, it's not what enters the mouth, food, that makes you clean or unclean. It's what comes out of your mouth. And what comes out of your mouth comes from the heart. And that's what matters most. I'll give you another example. Um, It's what Jesus has to say in our passage for next week, but this will do a little bit of a preview here to get the point. We all know, right? God commands us, you shall not murder. But here's the thing. It's possible to stop short of murdering someone while still having murderous rage in your heart. And if you've ever been stuck in Chicago traffic, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So Jesus' people uh, must see this command, do not murder. It's not just about stopping certain behavior. But it's also about cutting off the deep things in your heart that could lead to those actions. Because if you walk all the way down the road of anger to where that road ends, you'll end up in murder. So as we'll see next week, and as we see an example of what Jesus is doing with the law, as he reinterprets it, he takes this command, do not murder, down to a deeper level. Don't let anger at someone linger in your heart. 
Instead, go reconcile and make it right with the person. That's what the law of Moses looks like with Jesus as the center. The whole Bible is a book about Jesus in one way or another. And we Christians must read the Bible from front to end as one coherent story with Jesus right there in the middle, right in the center. And when we interpret any particular passage, we need to ask ourselves, what, is these, what do these verses say in light of the whole story of Scripture? And in light of Jesus, how do I live that out faithfully today? Brothers and sisters, that is how Jesus wants you to read your Bible. Amen. The Apostles' Creed are words that are confessed and spoken by Christians all over the world on Sunday morning worship. These ancient words summarize the great truths of our Christian faith. So as found in your bulletin, let's speak these words together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord 
who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into the dead, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. The definition of offer as a noun is the readiness to do or to give something. The readiness to do and give. To be ready is a choice that takes pre-planning and thoughtfulness. It's not something that we can just let happen to us. We must take action. So much of faith is us being able to believe and see what God gives us and how he loves and cares for us. But offering is our opportunity to do and give. It's our opportunity to take action. May we take this call to offer seriously in our lives. May we be ready to give and do for those that God brings into our paths in all of the ways that we are led.
Lord, we are thankful for this time set apart in our morning that we can worship, learn, pray, and grow. May this time together bring us peace, and may it transform us to be all that you have called us to be. May we have hearts that are ready to offer whatever it is to those around us in need. A smile, a helpful hand, finances, forgiveness, love. May our eyes be able to see the needs and our hearts always be inclined to give. This is the transforming work of your spirit. This is what loving our neighbors looks like. This is what we are put here to do. We thank you, Lord, for this work. May we do it well. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the head of the church spread across all the world. And you are the reason we at Mayflower exist as a community. We pray for all the churches in this city gathered this morning to worship you in spirit and in truth. We ask that you would bless their ministries so that your name would be glorified and lifted on high. May we all seek your will and do what is pleasing to you. Lord, we pray for those who suffer because of war and because of the violence of empire. We ask you to give relief specifically to the people of Ukraine, of Yemen, and of Ethiopia. Lord, bring peace and bring justice. This morning we pray for those around us who are vulnerable and marginalized. We pray for those who are sick or injured, that you would comfort them in their afflictions. We pray for refugees and immigrants, that they would have their needs met, and that we would show them hospitality and welcome them. We pray for those who do not have secure, affordable housing. Lord, be with them and help us to care for them. Lord, write your will onto our hearts so that we would be made pure by your perfect love. And this morning we pray for Murray, Peter, Mark, and the rest of Phil's family. Lord, we thank you for the gift of his life, for his faithfulness. And we pray for uh, his family and all of us who knew him and loved him in this community as we grieve and mourn his passing. And now together, let us all pray the Lord's Prayer as found in your bulletin. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.
Every word of God is precious. Every word of God points to Jesus, the one who is the word come from the father and the one who sends his spirit to be with us, to guide us and to comfort us. Remember to love one another and do what is pleasing to Him. Be strengthened by grace and worship with reverence and awe the God of peace. And grace be with you all. And may the good shepherd of the sheep equip you with all things for doing his will. And grace be with you all, and grace be with you Whoever God has called you this week, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. We go forth in the name of Christ. Thanks be to God.